Well, let me greet you once again and uh, say it's a joy to be with you and to share with you. I'm back into Hebrews and I'm dealing with chapter 5. We may, if we've time, just go into chapter 6. I have to mention that I often use the authorised version. In fact, that's my favourite because Unfortunately, there are too many translations otherwise, but today I believe it's important to use the NIV, the New International Version, because we're dealing with something that is possibly not quite so easy to understand. Okay, so as I start, let me just say that we do need a lot of prayer at the moment. Um, we need a lot of prayer for the Ukraine, and um, I urge you to pray as often as you can that God would bring peace into that situation. In Britain, we also need prayer because nationally we're going through probably one of the biggest crises. It's a crisis in every element spiritually because of uh, persecution, and not only persecution, but other problems in the churches, but we've got problems politically. Anyway, don't let me waste time on that, except to say that we do need a lot of prayer. Right, so now Paul, in dealing with the Hebrews, he's dealing in chapter 5 with a very Jewish issue, a Hebrew issue, because he's saying in the previous chapter, he's saying that Jesus is the great high priest. If you remember, I'm looking at um, verse 14 of chapter 4, where uh, Paul says that, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. So in chapter 5, and really this is a continuation of chapter 4, he goes on to say, every high priest and this is in the natural, we're looking here at the religious issue, every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them, that's men, in matters, oh, sorry, when I say men, I mean men and women, let's, let's get this right before I come in for criticism. Uh, every high priest is selected from among Men, that's from the people, and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God. So his issue is spiritual. And his job is to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. We know the Old Testament principle of the sacrifice for and the altar, and the temple, and so on. But it says in verse 2, 
He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is very interesting because it's relating to the humanity uh, of the priest, even the priest, because it says he can deal gently with people because he, the priest, is also subject to the same temptations. That is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. You see, you have to recognize that what Paul is saying is that a high priest is taken as is selected from among sinful people. And he also has to keep himself from sin and also has to make sacrifice for his sins. And so when you come to verse 4, it says, no one takes this honor upon himself. Now, I find this is quite revealing and quite emphatic in what it's saying. It says that this office of the priest, no one can take this honor upon himself. In other words, he cannot choose himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. You know, I do believe that this is so important even in ministry, uh, ministry like mine, ministry like pastors and so on, that it is, um, we use the expression um, when we refer to the ministry, uh, it's referred to not as a profession, but as a calling. I'm sure you must have heard this expression, that uh, ministry is a calling and this is why, because Paul says that you can't choose this yourself. You need to be called by God. And this, I think, is forgotten so often in uh, people being selected as pastors or priests or whatever, people in office in the church. I mean, Paul is quite clear. You don't make the choice yourself. You're called by God. Uh, and he says, just as Aaron was. And I, I do feel certainly in my own life, in my own experience, that I have a calling. There's no question right from my birth. I, 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 I never knew anything else other than that it was a calling on my life. And even in school, when boys were discussing, obviously, the future careers and were being sold careers and told careers and and whatnot. And, and yes, it is obviously when you're, when you're studying, especially if you go on to further education, it is a sense of what job will you take, what job will you choose. But with me, there never was any question. I knew I was called by God and I only wanted to serve God. <laughs> That's why even in the school, I, I was fulfilling the calling in the church. I was fulfilling the calling. It was just, to me, it was life and still is. Um, and I don't think that calling is ever lifted from me. So that's how I see it. And that's actually what Paul is trying to say. So 
Where in verse 4 it's saying no one takes this honor himself, he must be called of God, as Aaron was, so Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, and today I have become your father. And in another place, he says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So this follows on, and this is why in beginning this chapter, I had to refer back to chapter 4, because in chapter 4, it is quite clear, and Paul is saying, we have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God. So in Antwerp, Jesus is our high priest. Now in verse 7, let's have a look at the humanity of Jesus. Let's look at the other side. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was a... so. Paul is actually saying that when Jesus was born of Mary, he was human enough. He gave up the heavenly position and authority and took upon himself a human life, which meant that he was subject to the same problems that we are. And he himself had to make sacrifice, he had to cry out to his father, and in verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And then it says in the end of verse 8, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. In other words, Jesus was to become not just the high priest, but the sacrifice. Now, this is the only way that this can occur. No earthly high priest, it's impossible. The high priest cannot become the sacrifice. The high priest has to offer the sacrifice for his own sins and for our sins. But Jesus was absolutely unique in that in order to become the high priest in his position as son of God and in order to deliver us, not just himself, but in order to deliver us from sin, he, Jesus, had to become our sacrifice. Can you see, this may appear a little confusing, and this is actually why I'm using the NIV, because I think it explains it more clearly, so that he, Jesus, was to become the high priest, but not only the high priest, but also the sacrifice. That's absolutely incredible. Nobody else could, nobody else could do this because nobody else was perfect. And, and it says here that he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, that's in his death, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. That's 
so interesting that in actual fact, I believe that there's no question here from Scripture that we only have one high priest today. It's Jesus, not earthly priests. It's Jesus is the high priest. And to go on and to say, he, the high priest, also becoming the sacrifice, became the source of eternal salvation. Now, it's an interesting way that Paul is putting it, certainly in, the, in, the, uh, in this uh, NIV version. It's he became the source of our salvation, in, in that uh, the very source, the very subject, salvation came through him. Salvation, he's the source of salvation. There's no other way. And once you see this, once you recognize this, you understand why the scripture says, there's no other name under heaven whereby we can be saved. There is no other salvation other than Jesus. There's no other religion. There's no other faith. There's no other teaching. There's only Jesus is the source of eternal salvation. No other way. Simple, here it is. No other way. He's the source of the only source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And in order to fulfill that, he, Jesus, was designated by God to be a high priest. Now, he says here, and this is something quite unusual that we will deal with more fully um, probably in the next chapter, he became a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is absolutely unique, and I'm not going to deal with that today. I will deal with it in the next message because of, it's very complicated and it's very important. Anyway, having said that, move on to verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. <laughs> I like Paul in this. He's a wonderful teacher, isn't he? He says, I've got a lot to say. It's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. <laughs> I just like his sense of humor in that. But he goes on, and in verse 12, what he's really saying is, Though, by this time, you ought to be teachers, but you still need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. Wow! What Paul is saying is that despite this is in the first century and Christ has died many years before this, when he's writing this epistle, he's conscious that people are slow to learn, not understanding the basics. And, you know, I, I, I sense that this even is prevalent in large sections of so-called church today, that they've forgotten the very basics of the foundation on which our faith is built. And he puts it very bluntly. He says, you need to learn the elementary truths of God's word all over again. 
you need milk, not solid food. Mm -hmm. That's a baby, isn't it? In other words, he's saying, you're still babies. Anyone, verse 13, who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Oh, so what he's really saying is that there is a danger that if you keep at the beginning and you never get off the milk of the word, you don't begin to understand the real truths of God's word. <laughs> I always remember a simple story about a child. I won't say which one it was, who he was, although I do know. <laughs> and um, put to bed at night, um, this child, this boy, was always falling out of bed. <laughs> Whatever happened, night after night, there'd be a thump on the floor and the mother or the father would have to come up and put them back into bed. Well, eventually, after this had gone on for a while, I don't know whether it was father or mother, said to the boy, why do you keep falling out of bed? And that boy gave an answer so profound that it's registered here. He said, because I stay too near to the getting inside. How out of the mouths of babes and sucklings come forth the truth, how true that is. This is why people fall out and have problems in a spiritual life. They stay too near to getting inside. And so he says, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And let me tell you that that's very much in the spiritual sense, that we need to have constant use of Scripture, of the Word of God, and of the teachings in order that we might train ourselves, and not just be dependent on the preacher, but that we might train ourselves to be able to distinguish between good and evil, between what's right and what's wrong, in the spiritual sense, in the church. Wow! For that reason, I have to move on to the first part of chapter 6, because it's, it's following straight on. And he says, immediately after this, he says, therefore, because of this, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. You see, the trouble is it's so easy for Christians to live on that getting inside. They never get beyond the simple bit. Well, thank God for that. I mean, thank God for the fact that they are at least in. But the problem is they need constant teaching and tell. You see, this is the purpose of the church. 
It's the fellowship that strengthens the believers. It's the fellowship that teaches the believers. This is why in our churches we have Bible study, we have prayer meetings, we have communion, we have... And the gospel. I used to preach the gospel every week because it's a reminder to all of us of where we've come. So Paul is saying we need to leave the elementary teachings and go on to maturity, and that we don't have to come back. This is, this is very clear in this, in this first verse. We don't have to come back to the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death. So repentance has to be part of our Christian life. And that's not just once a week going to confess to a priest and then uh, repent. Confession and repentance are not exactly the same thing. You need confession, but you need a repentance from that sin that you don't go back to it. And in the same verse, he says, and of faith in God, of instruction about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. You know, what Paul is having to do is to remind these converts from Judaism of the reality that they're now living a new life with a totally different faith to the orthodoxy of, of, of the Jewish faith. And really, we have got to say to so many people who are religious, who are church members, who think they're Christian, that you've got to go on from knowing about baptism. I mean, baptism, that's not sprinkling. You, uh, the, the, this practice in the church of sprinkling infants is not baptism because you've got to go to Paul's conversation in Romans where he's buried with Christ in baptism. It's a baptism of confession of repentance, and you can only be baptized for forgiveness of sin once you matured enough to repent and be converted. So that's baptisms. And then the laying on of hands. You know, this is an important part of the ministry, the laying on of hands. And uh, for healing, of course, Yes, we need to we we need to understand this. I I feel sad in a way because so many people are asking me to pray for sickness, and sometimes got to say to them, "Why don't you lay your hands on yourself and pray for yourself?" That's what I had to do. Nobody prayed for me when I had cancer twice, and then it goes and the resurrection of the dead, you know. We need to have fresh, strong teaching in the church on resurrection and eternal judgment. And he says, God permitting, we will do so. We need to know that there is a day of judgment for everyone, believer and unbeliever. And in verse 4, and I have to close in this, it's impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift of salvation, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, 
if they fall away, it's impossible to be brought back to repentance because to their loss, they're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. So if you fall away, then you cannot, there comes a point at which you cannot even come to repentance if you've gone so deeply in and you come out because what Paul is saying, if you fall away from that truth, you're crucifying Jesus again, subjecting him to public disgrace. Do you see how important it is to go on and to grow in grace and in the knowledge of God? And, you know, you need to follow these lessons that I'm teaching. And please, because the next one really is following on from this. Hebrews is so important. I cannot overemphasize. Get your Bible. Read Hebrews chapter 5. God bless you. And I'll talk to you next week and continue on about more of what Paul has to say. God bless you. My God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful promise. When you are committed to and support the gospel, then stand on this promise that when you give to the extension of the kingdom, God will supply all your need. Jesus called it giving and receiving. This year God has given us wonderful opportunities to preach the gospel in Armenia, Georgia and Poland. And we continue to support Ukraine by distributing humanitarian and spiritual aid. For 12 months, our staff have helped the displaced, vulnerable and injured, supplying food and medicines. To make a donation, visit eurovision.org.uk forward slash donation. like to give you a free gift. David Hathaway's Prophetic Vision magazine is available free of charge. All you need to do is ask for it. This faith-building resource will show you the path to revival in your life and ministry. To receive this free magazine, visit eurovision.org.uk forward slash magazine. God has a plan and a purpose for you to fulfill. Through faith, you will see miracles, heal the sick, and your prayers will be answered. In David Hathaway's two new books, A Faith Beyond and Power Your Inheritance, you will discover that with God, all things are possible. Order these books today. Visit eurovision.org.uk forward slash shop.